Every business should have access to high-speed internet, no matter where they are. But getting fast speeds in rural Canada hasn't always been easy, which meant less reliability, scalability, and connectivity. ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions has the network to help you do business virtually anywhere in Canada. With extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're bringing the high speeds of the big city to small towns, to tiny towns, and even no towns. No matter your business size or location, get connected today with ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices of women entrepreneurs in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, guests will speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. Each one inspires us all to take up space within our own communities and within the business world, reminding us that each path can be messy and unique. Join us on the journey, clearing a new path. Person immigrating to Canada wanting to live your best life in one of the most beautiful places in the country, then you have to meet Lindsay Rubinick. Lindsay is passionate about developing a skilled workforce, growing Canadian rural and northern towns, and spreading her knowledge on the subject of immigration. She loves Canada, and her education backs that up. She's an economic developer of Canada a member of the Career Professionals of Canada, as well as a licensed, regulated Canadian immigration consultant. Lindsay has brought new direction to the immigration scene as she works with businesses and municipalities to train their staff on how they can implement the many immigration pathways available to bring foreign workers into Canada. Of course, Lindsay continues to work with skilled immigrants to identify pathways to immigrate to the Canadian prairies. She talks about many topics as the host of the popular podcast, Immigration on the Canadian Prairies. Okay, Lindsay, where do you hail from? Where in rural or remote Canada are you? I would say I live in rural Manitoba. And I live in a town that's approximately 700 people in size and 700 maybe in the RM. So we are extremely small. Uh, And my name of my town is Grandview, Manitoba. And to give you location proximity, if you know where Brandon, Manitoba is, we are basically like two hours 
kind of north of there. And then we're actually only one hour away from the Saskatchewan border. So it's actually quicker for us to go to somewhere like Yorkton, Saskatchewan. And even the capital of Saskatchewan, Regina, is an easier distance than what uh, getting to Winnipeg is, right? So we're basically on the border of uh, Saskatchewan and a little bit, uh, and we're four hours northwest of Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are rural. 700 folks, that is a small town. Well, let me say, I think what you're doing is revolutionary. I think the assistance that you're providing, the business that you've started, the podcast that you provide information on, all necessary, innovative. How did you come to this place? How did your professional career, and maybe your personal life too, lead you to what you're doing? Believe it or not, it'd be 30 years ago this year. It's going way back, but it, it all starts somewhere. And uh, I was sitting in my classroom and my teacher came in and said, hey, do you want to, uh, does anyone here want to participate in a session about how to make your town better? And uh, so anyways, I raised my hand and, you know, and we got to spend uh a day like there was a group of us from our little high school we got to spend a day with these two guys and they and they bought us some pizza and pop and we spent the day talking about town and Grandview and what we wanted to see in it right so uh this was the early 90s and I think like the internet was coming out and you know all this all this stuff so we talked about things that we really really want to see and then I uh, jump ahead to when I graduated and I really liked the two guys that uh, hung out with us that day. So I went and saw them and I asked uh, what they studied and so on and so forth. It turned out they did uh, city planning. So I ended up taking some courses in rural development and, uh, and, earned a degree that really I mashed together at the University of Winnipeg. Really, I don't even know what it was called, but it was something where I knew you really couldn't get, um, you know, it wasn't like Lindsay's going to be an accountant or Lindsay's going to be, you know, uh, something like that. It was just Lindsay has this degree in development, right? And so this is way before everybody got their uh, global development designations and stuff. So within the first uh, couple of years after I got my degree, I worked actually with this uh, local nonprofit and they were the rural economic development agency that I went to see. And one of my projects was actually settlement. Uh, and so this was when the settlement offices started to happen and I did like tourism. I did agriculture projects. They did all these like great fun projects. So I hung out with the, with this corporation work for them for probably uh, 15 years and they left and I did some other things. And then I was approaching my uh, 40th birthday and I really wanted to go back to school. And, and I want to teach myself something that I, that would be relevant to rural development. Cause I just love rural development. And, and so I start looking at all the projects I had done in the past and it came down to tourism or immigration. And, uh, and I was like, wow. So I, I looked at tourism and I said, that's a lot of fun. Uh, but immigration really intrigued me. Right. And, and I had the opportunity to work in Eastern Europe. I had the opportunity to work in South America and I knew I loved people. And the one thing I seen that uh, wasn't happening in rural and uh, Northern Manitoba and Saskatchewan, basically on the prairies, was using immigration as a strategy for economic growth. Yeah, we had settlement offices, but that's different than immigration, right? So I went ahead and I took my immigration designation. So I became a regulated Canadian immigration consultant. I loved it because it was online and did that 
online for about six months every Sunday. It was pretty intense. And I went and I got it. And it's funny because my husband, he totally supported me during it. And he and we kind of didn't know what would happen with it. I never intended for it to become a business. It was more by default. And uh, and probably like three days, four days after I got my designation, uh, somebody called me and they became my first client. And and ever since then, I've been I've been doing it. And I love it, I think, for the most part, because I answer to myself. I answer to uh, just the people I work with. And I wanted to do something that was different in economic development because we usually have to work for a board or a city council or a municipal council. And I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to work for me and my clients. And that's kind of my long story into how I got into immigration. So basically a birthday present to myself and it turned into uh, a business. That's an amazing story, actually. I love that. What is it that you do? I mean, who do you support? What what elements of rural development do you support with your business? A skilled labor is, I think, be my most direct answer for that. So a lot of our businesses struggle with skilled workers. So um, I really try to support our businesses, our local businesses, with um, helping them identify immigration pathways. And the... Um, what I'm really trying to do, though, right now is to work with businesses to educate them about the different pathways so they can do it themselves, as well as a uh, municipal government, right? Because a lot of times people don't even understand immigration and they just believe, well, these skilled workers will just appear. But it's a very complex and difficult road to go down. So um, I try to make it as easy as possible for them. So a, a skilled workforce is pretty much my is what I focus on. What are your thoughts on, I know the federal government has some lofty targets in the next several years for immigration, particularly into rural areas. They are encouraging immigration into rural, small communities. However, and this is my thought only, I want to know what your opinion is, the resources and and the infrastructure often aren't in place within a community, a municipality, meaning access to cultural food, access to other folks that share their nationality or their language. How are we doing when it comes to that? What's your thought? Well, it's funny you asked that because just yesterday I did a presentation to, it was for uh, the province of Manitoba. It was for, um, I guess, a conference for municipal planning. And I actually focused on that, right? So in a way, I think we're, we're doing better than what I anticipated. But in another way, I think that we have uh, a long way to go. The Ukraine uh, war really proved, I think, that uh, to our rural and northern communities who are striving for uh, labor, who need workers and who want to support immigrants, it showed that, yeah, they truly want people to come and live and work and be in their communities. But just as you said, they are not ready. We don't have the housing. Um, if we do, 
people maybe don't realize it's not affordable for people um, that are just newly arrived. Uh, they, they, we need to have safe housing, uh, transportation, right? So if we're in a rural town, how are the people going to get to their job? Is, is the location where they're going to live in a walkable distance? Um, yeah. So, and further is your local grocery store, as you mentioned, are they willing to get in the foods necessary that that's usually um, the culture would, would like to eat, you know? So there's a lot of things like that and communities that have no settlement services. So in our area, we have two amazing settlement agencies, Russell and Dauphin. But however, if our communities such as where I live or Roblin or um, just the surrounding communities, if we want it to basically have a number of newly arrived uh, newcomers to our community or immigrants, uh, we would basically have to be starting from scratch, right? And so we would need to look at, yeah, housing inventory, uh, employment inventory. What do we all have in terms of that? So I think there's a there's a desire to welcome newcomers, but as you said, lots of our communities just aren't aren't ready, aren't there, right? So the danger becomes in that, like anything, word of mouth is essential. Spanx is the one that says they never had to advertise anything because their product was so good. And you look at communities and what makes communities and newcomers go to that community is that they're prepared and they're welcoming. And if you do it wrong the first time and the second time, uh, people are going to hear about that and they aren't going to want to come to your community, right? So it's not saying you have to have everything prepared off the hop, but you need to be aware of, um, you need to have some basic things are ready for people to come and to feel welcomed. And so if there are mayors listening or people working in municipal government, what are some of the things that they can be working on or looking at uh, before becoming and an, an advertising actually themselves as a welcoming community? So I think like one of the greatest things they could do is uh, what they have for employment. And understand that we do have people that may be lower skilled, but there are also people that are highly skilled, right? So lower skilled may mean that um, they don't have the education for higher paying jobs and that their English or French may not be strong. So they may start out in those lower paying jobs. However, there is a misconception that uh, newcomers and uh, immigrants you know, although they'll just, we'll just give them low wage jobs, right? That's all we really need to look for. And that's a huge mistake. And that's going to be costly to rural and Northern communities at the end. There should be a range of employment opportunities for, for everybody that's in the community, right? So I think having a wide range of opportunities, you know, from low skilled to high skilled, um, that would be probably one of your best starting points. Housing, making sure that you have adequate housing available for them. And I think one of the things is that because municipal government's like, oh, you know, we don't want, because everybody's stretched to the budgets yeah. aren't limited. So you could actually, in terms of settlement, maybe you don't need to hire a settlement coordinator. Maybe you can have somebody that's retired in the community volunteer to oversee to organize certain things, right? Maybe you can have um, a stay at home parent or two work together and organize a settlement committee. Right. So there's there are things you can do that are low cost uh, that just basically requires organization. But having employment, housing and uh, settlement services, even if you don't have a settlement office, is very essential. I think that's what I would recommend my first my first uh, three things for a community to ensure they have. 
What about um, communities where the residents are resistant to having newcomers to their community? And I don't mean I don't mean administration, but I mean the actual residents that they have certain folks that that don't want immigration. They do not want new people coming into their community. How how do you navigate that delicate situation? Well, I think um, bringing people into a community that is resistant to it might not be the best thing for everybody, for anyone involved in it. So I think probably just starting with education and awareness on on what newcomers, immigrants bring to the community, right? Because if you let people know that, you know, they they do start small businesses, uh, they, they do pay taxes, right? So there's a huge misconception on immigrants and in Canada and with local communities. Like I know communities exactly like that, right? And so I think education and awareness and speaking to people about it, right? And then saying ultimately at the end, you know, if you want your town to be sustainable, then we need a skilled workforce, right? And if you've tried all these other strategies, youth retention, uh, urban to rural migration strategies, uh, so on and so forth, if they aren't working, then this is an option that might be very viable for you. But again, if they aren't open to it, then it's something I probably wouldn't promote to a community until they're educated and they have some sort of um, their level of awareness is is raised and you can see that they will be welcoming because I would never want to put somebody in that situation where a community just really didn't want it as a growth strategy, right? So again, I think it's really up to the community and what they decide, but I think they're missing out on a huge opportunity and getting a really great diverse workforce. I, I agree and, and I couldn't agree actually more, but I think there's a disconnect sometimes between municipal leaders wanting to bring in new folks to Canada uh, to fill positions, but not checking in with the community to make sure there's that education piece and the benefit to the community and communicating that we are almost through the pandemic. So the pandemic isn't really an excuse anymore to not be communicating that strategy and the benefits to the community itself and then influencing folks to be on on side so that it is a welcoming community for everyone. You touched on it a little bit and I think that it's a huge problem though and and I, I think you would agree the housing situation in small communities. I'm in Ontario and our housing situation is a crisis situation in rural communities in that developers are building massive homes, massive infrastructures, and wanting people to come in and fill, as you mentioned, minimum wage jobs or not very high paying jobs. Where are those folks going to live if they want them to come here? And so I think the strategy needs to be well thought out about all of that. And and like you said, I think the pandemic exposed the lack of safety from for some of our seasonal workers that come. We've seen we've heard all kinds of terrible stories and and true stories about mm-hmm. folks that were in peril. And so 
sounding the alarm about that, I think is important. Yeah. And so I think some strategies they can look at is uh, if there's low income housing that uh, so it's provincially funded. And so to ensure that so if there's no if the, I have some in our in our town, right, like actually in my neighborhood, there's some low income housing that's not being utilized. Right. So to make sure that 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 income, that housing is put up to standard. And that's livable. And as I said, safe. That's one of the ways we can put so a lower skilled uh, worker and their family could have, you know, still be in a home and make sure that everything's okay for them, right? As well as um, you could also look at senior housing and what was used before, because what we're finding in our communities is that there's like, uh, so we had senior living, so on and so forth, and that's not being used as much. And and it could be for various reasons, like uh, older people just tend now to want to remain in their home. And, and it's been proven that actually you you live longer if you remain in your home, uh, right? So, so having, we have lots of those one bedroom, uh, apartments available in lots of our rural communities. So actually looking at those and kind of, you know, you know, bringing them up to par and again, making sure that they're livable and that people feel safe and welcome in them and that it's manageable for that person, I think would be another great strategy. So just looking at existing inventory and, and bringing that up to status quo. Or even like investing in, you know, if there's a local entrepreneur that wants to put up a bricks and mortar building in your town, like asking them to do it like old urban planning, which I think we, we totally miss nowadays, right? Is having your, uh, you know, your storefront and then having apartments on top, right? So that's kind of some things you could look at doing as well. But that's where I think a lot of the issue will come is, is housing and where people will live. And again, if if it's close to their work, right. And then transportation becomes your other issue because even though I'm a huge rural advocate, it's just easier in the city for somebody with lower income to hop on the bus and get to their work. Right. Whereas, whereas if you're working in, in somewhere like our community and you have to work for a business that's, you know, 10 miles down the road on the highway, how are you going to get there? And, and it has to be looked at now. Like it's an, there's an urgency to it, I think. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Like this should have been done or this could have been done like a, a while back, right? And that's where I, I think the issue is, is that uh, people don't understand community development for a large part of it, right? So you have municipal government and maybe they come in for four years or eight years. But what really has to start planning is you have to basically look at your demographics, you know, and, and forecast it 15 years out and say, okay, so our community has this much of age of population and this is, you know, where they'll be in 10, 15 years and say, okay, so in terms of skilled labor, that means that this will happen. Okay. So if we had to bring people into our community, you know, then that means where they're going to stay, where they're going to work, you know, all that sort of stuff. Right. So it's kind of like a, a long-term plan that you have to have in place. It's better to start late than never. But um, I think this is a conversation that people have had for a number of years and just the lack of action on a lot of municipal governments part. They may miss the boat in, in terms of immigration for a while until they get that established. 
You alluded to it a little bit earlier. What has been your experience with folks coming from Ukraine? What amazing things have you been up to? I like this one because it really defines what economic development is and bringing immigrants to a community. So we had a gentleman, a local business owner, and he basically gave $25,000. He just he just one night he announced he's going to give $25,000 into um assisting, you know, Ukrainians who would like to come to Manitoba to live and work for either temporary or permanently, right? So this is what he said. And then um, him and I started talking and uh, I got on the committee. And so we ended up forming this committee of maybe 15 people. And uh, to date we have, uh, so from that 25,000, we have probably $200,000 raised in cash. And we probably have... 10 to 12 houses donated for a year for uh, people to come. And then we also have employers who have put out the word that they're looking for uh, people to work for them, right? So kind of what it did was it tested the city of Dauphin and what we had ready and what we didn't have ready. And it was really cool to see that there was lots of things that we did not have ready, that it took us like 15 volunteers that are like working uh, when we aren't working, we're volunteering like, you know, 20, 25 hours a week on our own to make sure that when our Ukrainian families arrive, that they do have a, a good place to live, um, that there's employment for them and that there we're giving them um, ESL classes. like So English as a second language. Uh, we're making sure they have all the settlement services that they need provided. Right. So it's just really um need to be able to see and we call ourselves the Parkland Ukraine Family Fund and just how much uh, a community wants immigrants to happen and immigration to happen but at the same time how ready they actually were to receive immigrants and so behind closed doors it's been a lot of work but maybe to the public and from an outsider looking in they wouldn't realize that it took a lot more effort than what everybody anticipated so in and then in looking at the city of Dauphin, they were actually pretty, they're, they're pretty much ahead of a lot of communities I know in terms of being able to welcome immigrants because they do have a great settlement office. They do have a various schools, right? They do have uh, some housing, even though they do face a housing issue, right? But um, they are a really great community that I would pick as, as a community that would be one of the best to welcome lots of immigrants, but at the same time, they still had a lot of struggles and we still have a lot of struggles to ensure our 12 Ukrainian families are looked after. Right. So, um, so that's just a great case in point when you practice rural immigration and then you put it into play and you're able to watch it unfold. uh, You can really see the needs and what really has to happen if you want to develop your community through rural immigration. Are there templates uh, on how to do that? And and I mean I mean that because I think there may be people listening who sit on a committee at, at their municipality or you know um, are looking for change. In Ontario, we have a municipal election coming up soon, and so new people may want to put that part of their platform or create new things. How do people find out about the best ways to do those things? When I actually got my rural 
uh, my role, my regulation, my regulated Canadian immigration license. The main goal was actually not to just work with skilled immigrants, right? So it has always been to work with municipalities and economic development officers and businesses, because I think that there are a lot of RCICs out. I think there's a number of great people that can help an immigrant get from whatever country to our country. But what there, you just nailed it. What there isn't is there's a really lot of lack of understanding of the immigration pathways that we have to bring people here. And so our businesses aren't aware of them. Our our municipalities aren't aware of them, right? Our economic development officers aren't aware of them. And they can't be because it's so much to learn. So like if you just hop on a website and say, I want to learn about this provincial nominee program, I want to learn about all the federal programs, you, you, you will never get it, you'll just be, you'll be overwhelmed and you'll quit. So that was kind of my goal. And six years in, I finally got to uh, represent and uh, and present to the Economic Developers Association of Manitoba. And it's not because it took me six years of asking, but it took me six years to develop my knowledge and to actually work with different skilled immigrants and to kind of design a process where I feel that I can now educate and train uh, economic development officers and municipal counselors and businesses on the different pathways that may work for them to bring our skilled immigrants in. And then further, if you don't have a settlement agency, I've really watched, um, I've really watched communities struggle if they didn't have a settlement agency, like we were talking about before uh, we began and I just seen it and I really put that into play as well, right? So it's kind of the whole concept for what I do derives is is from an educational uh, part of me, right? Like I've always loved education and training projects. And the more the more you can make a community efficient and self-efficient and not having to pay someone like me over and over again to do the same job, and you can just basically uh, have your CAO or you can have your human resource person within your company do a labor market impact assessment again and again after I've taught them, that's efficiency. Do you provide your services nationally? Because I can imagine a few people that I know who do listen who could definitely benefit from the training that you could provide and their municipalities may be able to benefit from what you provide. Well, yes. So it's funny you should ask that because I've actually working with um, some companies in rural Ontario, right? So when I first started, Mm -hmm. it was uh, like the Canadian prairies and they started because it's what I know, right? So I'm a huge believer in don't go and try to do something you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So the more and more I got into my work, then um, I connected with different clients. And so I've been working uh, in Ontario as well, right? So I think I would feel they are comfortable to say, and then you municipal government's all the same and the federal pathways are all the same and settlement becomes the same, right? So when I started, I didn't want to do an overreach and that was my, right? I didn't want to say to somebody I could do something, I couldn't really do it. Uh, so I think that, I could say those those services I would offer as at an like nationally I could go anywhere and provide that education and training. I'm going to ask you one more question 
What do you love about it? What keeps me up is small towns disappearing. I hear a lot of times that when I talk to clients and they phone me and they're like, where are you, Lindsay? And I say, Manitoba. And they're like, where's Manitoba? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so let's begin, you know, Toronto, right? And they're like, they know Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. But anything in between Toronto and Vancouver, they aren't aware of, right? So I think it worries me that there's a lot of people that are going to large cities and because that's all they know. Like you can't go anywhere you don't know. So for the same house in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, uh, you can get the same like 1200 square foot house for 200 and some thousand dollars. Whereas if you go to Toronto, it's 1.2 million, right? So you were sending people, we're welcoming people into our country who are coming to large uh, cities who are getting swallowed up, who have to live below the poverty line. And in the end, they are not living the Canadian dream. So I think it keeps me up at night that we have so many, so many communities needing newcomers and immigrants. And at the same time, we have so many immigrants and newcomers who I don't think will ever achieve their Canadian dream because of the location of where they are. Thank you so much. You have a fantastic podcast. I mentioned it at the beginning. Um, can you tell folks the name of it and where they can find it? Um, I have a podcast too, uh, and it's called uh, Immigration on the Canadian Prairies. And basically, it is just a mix mash of different uh, topics about, um, you know, I talk about the programs that are available for people to come through. Uh, you know, I talk about settlement services. And I found you on iTunes, and I'm guessing that folks can find you on Spotify and all the regular Yeah, all those platforms. What's the, what's the way to say it? Everybody says it so eloquently. They're like, you can find me on everywhere that a podcast Anywhere that you available. listen to a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's where it is. It's been an absolute pleasure, Lindsay. Thank you so much. It's been fun. this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a review. It really helps others find us. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by Imagine a Dev Studios. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Temp Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to this studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of Indigenous communities and reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time. <laughs>